This is the Law School Show. Reesh, if seven years ago, when we were sitting in the cafeteria at Commerce Court, deciding to start a podcast, I told you that the 150th episode is going to be via Zoom during a global pandemic, what would you say? I, I, I couldn't believe it, man. I could not foresee this. It's been a tremendous journey for us to come so far that we're at the 150th episode of the Law School Show. So excited. How are you doing, Chris, during this COVID pandemic times? I am healthy. My family's healthy. My colleagues are healthy. I'm still getting a paycheck. All in context, I'm, I'm doing really well. But yeah, agree. It's a very unique time, but uh, grateful that we've had so many law students step in and carry the baton and really continue to to help their fellow law students figure out career development and and network and, and meet new people so i think i think we're doing well and i think the team that's lined up for this year is going to uh, knock it out of the park so i think we should bring them into this combo let's do it hello everyone this is the Law School Show 150th Extravaganza. I'm your co-host, Jake Clark, and I am also joined in this endeavor by Amos Vong, the maestro of the microphone. We are here to deliver a roundtable discussion from the architects of this show and those who have carried it out since. All right, so once again, welcome everybody to the 150th episode of the Law School Show that has been seven seasons in the making, years in the making, and today... All of us here, everyone that you see here, are either current producers, current managers, or former managers as well. As well, we have the two first hosts, the two very first hosts and producers of the show, the creators of the show, here on this very, very special episode. Chris, Rishi, David, Polly, and Ryan, all coming from different eras of the Law School show. And to all of you, thank you so much for coming on on the show. Yeah, my, my pleasure, for sure. Now, let's start off very much from the beginning. And what better way to start off than to ask the original question? One of the very first questions that Chris and Rishi have asked in their very first episodes of the Law School Show. And I'll start off with Chris, and then I'll lead on to the next guest. So I'll lead on here. So, Chris, let's start with you. Tell us about yourself without talking about the law. Very nice. Well, that allows me to talk about my current my current role, which happens to be a non-legal role. So I, I work for Ontario Power Generation. I'm a senior manager in regulatory affairs. So I have responsibility for uh, helping prepare our rates application that goes before the Ontario Energy Board, where the, the OEB sets the rates that OPG gets paid for its regulated generation. So that's a relatively new role for me. I'm a dad. My daughter is two and a half. She's doing great. She's got an opinion now. She does prefer me to be shaved. So I always get compliments that I have a nice face the day I shave. I learned that this morning. I like to cycle, run, bug Rishi whenever I can to get a little more insight into what's going on in the world. Yeah, that, that's me in a nutshell without talking about that. Rishi, what about you? So from the different facets, I guess I would like to highlight non-law interests that I have, which are mainly in entrepreneurship and finance. I can sit and, as Chris knows, talk about finance for 
hours on end discussing whether it's the stock market or where the economy is going and what's happening with the housing market. I, I do have opinions on those. And on the entrepreneurship side, you know, Chris and I started the law school show following which I, I started a bar exam crackers. So always looking at new business ideas and evaluating them along with my full-time job as a, a corporate lawyer at Stegman Elliott. And for those of you listening or watching this very special episode, Chris and Rishi once again are the two original creators of the show all the way back in, I believe it was the first episode, September 2014. That's, well, quite a long time ago. I was just starting my first year of undergrad back then. And along with us also for the ride is also David Liu, who was an advisor from seasons three to five and co-manager of the show on season three. So David, tell us a bit about yourself without talking about the law. So I'm David, I guess I can first start by saying, so I'm still practicing law in Ottawa, in condominium law. But aside from that, I have interests in volleyball and swimming, I guess. Over the past few years, some things have changed in my life. So, for example, I got married, so that's new. <laughs> I moved to Quebec, so I practice in Ottawa, but I live on the other side of the river now. So I'm trying to uh, improve my French. So that's kind of an ongoing project for me. Aside from that, it's it's pretty much similar to what it was in school. So I did my undergrad and my law school at U of O. So it still kind of feels like a student life, except instead of going to campus, I'm going to my office. But other than that, yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And the next one here is Polly Ho. She was co-manager of the show from seasons four to five and also a host of the show from seasons three to five. So Polly, tell us a bit about yourself without talking about the law. I'm a plant lover. I have over 100 plants at my home. So yeah, it's good in Hong Kong, where I am, you actually get a lot of different kind of species of plants. And like there's a big flower market that I always go to to pick up new plants. Um, other than that, I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, and then like, I think when I was around 16, I moved to Canada and I did all my studies in Canada till like, well, like I got my Bachelor of Science in Canada, Master of Science. I work in the scientific field for quite a long time. So I still really like science. That's sort of like become part of me. So other than that, yeah, so, so now I'm back to Hong Kong working in immigration law firm in Hong Kong. Do you have a favorite plant? Favorite plant? There are so many, but maybe I can show you some some plants. Let's see it. Can I go get one? Apologies to the audio only folks in the crowd. You're not going to get to see the beauty. Audio only. 100 plants. That is... We'll, we'll describe plants. So this is pretty cute, I thought. Like, it's going to become really well, big later on. It's green. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. And I have like this other one. Also green. It's sort of rare to find in in Canada. It's hard to find, but then it's it like cold? much easier to find it here. Yeah, I guess because of the cold. So they like like humidity and stuff. So yeah. What what are the names of the plants? They're quite pretty. This one is called Alocasia poly. I like it because it's called poly too. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it. This one, I don't know the name. I actually don't know the name of this plant. So I just saw it and I've never seen it before. So I got one. 
I'm just I'm uh, surprised you hear somebody can take care and keep hundred plants alive. I have a tough time keeping two plants I have in my home alive. <laughs> yeah. I was just about to say that as well. That's 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 amazing. One hundred plants. That is wow. Well, some of them are pretty small. Some of them are like the other one I show you. Pretty small. Like I'm broadcasting to you from the wilderness of the Canadian Shield, and it's still impressive. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's at least a hundred plants around you. Totally. <laughs> There's probably over 9,000 plants, if you know what I'm saying. But anyways, moving on to our <laughs> other guest as well, Ryan Pistorius, the current producer of Season 7, host from Seasons 5 to 7, co-manager in Season 6, and assistant manager in Season 5. Ryan is currently here managing at the very top everyone else in this current season of The Law School Show, Ryan, tell us a bit about yourself without talking about the law. You don't have to build me up so much. Good gracious. I'm, I'm following in the footsteps of giants here. I mean, I, having the vision to create this show from the ground up and then everyone who's managed the show since, I mean, I'm just the, the latest in a long line of people who've, who've managed from the top, as you said. Just, I, I think it's a little unfair as well to ask me to describe myself without the law because I'm the one of the producers and managers over the years, the only one who's still a student. And so my life right now is entirely the law. There is no time for anything else. What are you talking about, Amos? I have no idea what my life is without the law between school and work and the law school show. I mean, the law school show, I think, is the is the least law-related thing that I do, which is saying something, because at least it's a little creative. Other than that, I mean, I grew up in Winnipeg, which is a, a great place, beautiful weather, highly recommend. My family's from South Africa, so... That's afforded some nice opportunities to, to go to a little bit of a warmer place. I did my undergrad in, in classical studies, and I've always been a bit of a generalist. So I studied classics partially because it also allowed me the flexibility to study history, art history, music, religion, uh, different languages, commerce, a, a wide range of, of topics. And I've kind of continued that in law school. I'm taking courses in a bunch of different areas, but with a particular focus on international law. So yeah, I mean, without law, ask me that question again in a couple of years, and hopefully I'll have more of a work-life balance once I'm graduated from law school. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And Jake, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense if we left ourselves out of this as well. So Jake, describe yourself Without talking about the law, I'm uh, entering 2L at at U Ottawa. I uh, my undergraduate degree is in English, so I just bring possibly what could be called aggressive fluency to that, and very little else. <laughs> I play the bass a bit. Uh, that's been uh, one of the main things, the bass ukulele, uh, because that's easy to take on a plane from the west coast to Ontario. At a time, at a time, there were a lot of opportunities to go to open mics and so forth. Not so much now, but I'm getting the practice in. And I forgot to mention this before asking Jake the uh, the question. Jake Clark is host of seasons six and seven, and also associate producer of special projects of this current season, season seven. So very much a current member of the Law School Show. And I guess I'll have to round out the rest of this question. I guess I'll have to ask myself this question. Explain yourself, Amos. Yeah. <laughs> So I am, I was host of the show, still host of the show uh, from seasons five to season seven and associate producer for video of the law school show as well. Outside of the show and outside of the law, I am a sports announcer, a classical pianist, and a voice actor as well. In my sports so announcing talent. career, I was the announcer of the 2016 NBA All-Star Challenge in Ottawa. The 2017 Canadian Junior Swimming Championships in Toronto on CBC Sports. 
and the Capital Hoops Classic, the 2020 Capital Hoops Classic on TSN. I was also the English announcer of the 2018 U Sports National Swimming Championships at the University of Toronto, and I was also the leader of the analyst desk for the 2017 Colonel By Classic. I've worked with personalities such as Lee Versage, Brittany McLean, Olympic bronze medalist and at Rio, Quincy Q. Mac, Toronto Raptors MC and entertainer, and also former Raptors all-star player and current NBA analyst for ESPN, Antonio Davis. As a classical pianist, I've been performing since about 2010, I think, probably even before that. It's been a long time, so I can't really keep, keep track of time very, very well. So there was that. I've also been a finalist, finalist at the Canadian Music Competition, performed in di- different cities, including Toronto, Mississauga, and parts of Ottawa as well. And as a voiceover actor, voiceover artist, I also primarily work in English, but I'm also fluent in Cantonese Chinese, and I can speak a little bit of French and Mandarin Chinese as well. So that's just a little bit about me outside of law school and everything related to law. Gracious, you're making me look terrible. We're in the same year and you find all the time for all these other projects. What am I doing wrong with my life? My goodness. I was like, that was a full resume. And I was like, well, I played the yeah. bass. <laughs> I do a podcast. So, sorry, Rishi, you were saying so, sorry? It sounded like somebody's entire career. And that's just you before your law career starts. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Speaking of beginnings and of broadcasting, too, I think that it's rather fair that we get into what brought everyone to the law school show, or in the case of Chris and Rishi, what brought the law school into law school show into existence. Can you guys tell us a bit about that? We'll go around the way. Yeah, sure. So we can start it off. So Chris and I, we uh, summered at the same law firm, Steichman Elliott, where we were having lunch one day, like Chris mentioned at the outset of the store, uh, outside of the episode in commerce court and both of us were independently thinking about ideas and we came together and we recognized that you know there are so many different career paths you can take with your legal degree there's not one path but we found it hard to get that information what are those career paths how do you get from one place to the next the only ones that we were really aware of were what we were seeing in the university which were mainly going to the main street so we thought what better way to bring that information back to the school, and more importantly, for us to learn about the different paths, and we thought we should kick off the law school show. So I'm pretty sure the conversation happened, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, was in August, and by September, we had our first episode out. Yeah, it it all happened pretty quick. It was still relatively early in terms of the podcast game when we started. There were a lot of, like, one of our initial barriers to spreading awareness of the show was that people didn't know what a podcast was. They would say, like, oh, can I get it on YouTube? I'm like, well, I mean, you could, but it's better if you do it, you know, download it on your phone, use iTunes. So that 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 was, you know, we had a bit of an early mover advantage, which was, which was good. And then the other, I think, core tenant that Rishi and I have always surfed in terms of keeping this thing alive is helping. We wanted to help other people fill that gap around practical knowledge. We wanted to help other people fill the gap in terms of network and people they could potentially reach out to or learn from so that they could bolster the academic part of their life with a more with a more practical real world perspective. So that that was how we kicked it off and it was fun. So it was something that we were doing in our it was our third year, right? That we did that at, in terms of law students there. That's right. Started with weekly weekly episodes. It was amazing. Weekly interviews and editing and getting an episode out. What were you using to edit the first days? Audacity. 
Ah, uh, the classic. Classic. Easiest way to get out. I still use that now, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, me too. That's how this will probably be edited. And David, when did you come into things? It's actually a funny story on that one. So oh. the summer of my first year of law school, I worked in the city of Ottawa, and I counted traffic. It's actually a pretty boring job. So I'm basically out on the streets every single day having this machine and pushing buttons. So to pass the time, I'll listen to podcasts. And I thought, well, I should probably think about ways of getting more knowledge about the legal industry. Since I'm in law school, I should probably have to figure out a job situation. And then the law school show was one of the shows that I found. And so I listened to it over the course of the summer. And there was one time when after listening to one episode, I sent an email to Chris and Risha giving feedback. <laughs> and then after that, just before the year started, I thought, okay, I've given them feedback. Maybe I should get involved and actually follow up on what I felt could have improved and maybe help contribute to the show. So that's how I winded up joining the law school show and getting started in that. Quite an interesting story. This is like the, you know, the precocious listener, like, okay, yes, yes. I, I like the show a lot. It's like uh, John Frusciante joining the Chili Peppers. That's, uh, and then Polly, when did you come on to things? So I started working for the show in 2016. Um, I was one now at the time, and I actually was a big fan of the law school show before even joining joining to work for the show. So like I listened to the show for the entire year while applying for law school because my family I don't have anyone who are already like in the legal profession. So. Like it was helpful, like listening to the show and find out like what are the other career paths that are available to lawyers or law students in general. So um, when I found out that actually the law school show was started in University of Ottawa, which is where I'm studying, I thought like, whoa, this is a good opportunity to like sort of give back to the law school show because I thought like it helped me so much when I was like applying for the law. So you were listening to it before you knew it was a U Ottawa thing. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought I, I somehow I thought like it may be like a U.S. thing. Like I totally don't know where it is coming from. But then, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that a lot of people obviously wouldn't wouldn't know, uh, but Chris and I did our huge listener base when we launched the law school show in the first year. Somehow, we had obviously had a big listener base in uh, Ontario. But our second highest market was California. No idea how, no idea why, but it was California somehow. Very interesting. Very interesting. It's still high. It's interesting that you say that because one of our most recent interviews is from a, uh, a family lawyer in California named Stephen Quelty. It'll probably be up before this episode is released. He reached out to us. I thought that was very interesting. That's it. We've, we've got a broader reach than I surmise. And then Ryan there, man, how did you come to the show? I so I will fully admit that I did not actually hear the podcast before I heard about the podcast. So I was coming into one L. I had been listening to you know I I have a lot of respect for Professor Forces at the University of Ottawa, but there was a podcast, an orientation podcast, which I think was I, I hope he'll forgive me for saying I think it was in his earlier days of podcasting experience because the the, the quality is a little 
well, it, it's it sounds sometimes like like a student podcast. It's his current podcast has certainly upped the game. But I listened to it. It was an orientation podcast series, about eighteen episodes for you, Ottawa. And I listened to that while I was moving to Ottawa. And the episodes were were getting better and better as they went. And this seemed like something that was really fun and really interesting. And I've always had a bit of a creative streak. And so when I started 1L, there was a Facebook post. It, it would have been either Polly or Rama or Jessica, one of the, the co-managers that year who posted it and said, hey, we're a podcast. We're a student-run podcast. We're looking for hosts. And that was kind of how I got involved. And since then, I've discovered that the Ottawa seems to have a, a, a huge market for podcasts. Um, we have obviously the student podcast going, but then as I said, Professor Forces has his own now. Professor Liu has a new podcast. There is now a new orientation podcast, which has much higher production values called Baladroa U Ottawa. And so it's, it's really blossomed into something else. I guess it, it helps during the global pandemic to listen to some podcasts. And so I just heard about it. It seemed like a great creative opportunity. And I put my name forward and, uh, and joined the team. Is, I will say, I think I stumbled upon the podcast the same way because I was, the, the intro podcasts were part of it. And I was Googling you Ottawa law podcast and the law yeah. school show comes up first. Oh. So I, I listened to that. I think I listened to a couple, like a couple of episodes before I was like, oh wait, we, this isn't what we have to listen to beforehand. <laughs> oh, well, in for a penny, in for a penny. <laughs> what do you mean? Required it should, yeah, should be a class. required thing that you have to do before you come to University of Ottawa. The summer before your first year. You'll get cold called on episodes of the Law School Show. <laughs> Five episodes of the Law School Show under your belt. Considering most of the classes are going to be remote, it's probably going to be a comparable experience. And Amos, how did you come to join us, just out of curiosity? So I joined the show also for the same creative opportunities here. For me, and it still very much is right now, because for me, I wanted to grow my experience and grow my, my skill set in terms of not just being in front of the camera or in front of the microphone, but also behind the microphone as well and behind the camera. And for me, one of the ways to do that was to be involved with the podcast. And another thing that I realized was that, yeah, I had, I had hosted, as I mentioned earlier, I work as a sportscaster for, for, for actually seven different sports and counting. But the thing was, yes, there was some hosting and some interviewing on the broadcast, but there wasn't anything in terms of a full-on sit-down episode, one hour or so conversation with, the, with a guest. So for me, I found that joining it was essentially like, well, I mean, I, get, I can get valuable experience and to learn a lot of also editing and producing but the behind-the-scenes action. So I was thinking, you know what? Let's let's join the show and be involved and be uh, be involved with the hosting. And you know, it's it's I, I'm so happy even now to to have joined the show because there's a lot that I've learned from from hosting from and now uh, producing the show. So mostly it was for the creative opportunities and really just to ex uh, to expand my my skill set to to what I have right now. And I'm so glad that you mentioned hosting there because I, th my next question kind of ties into this. I'm wondering, because every, everyone here has done a few interviews for the Law School Show, and I'm wondering what it felt like to do your first interview and how your experience with the show changed over your time there. Okay, I have a story on this one. <laughs> so my first interview was with a sole practitioner in Ottawa, and I was really nervous because back then I wasn't very used to talking to lawyers. And I wasn't exactly sure about the recording process I was going to use. And thinking back, I probably should have revisited that before I, I did my recording. So how I did my first interview was that I brought my laptop and I had a recording software on there. I tested it beforehand, but 
I guess I didn't test it well enough because what happened was at that interview, I recorded everything, but I didn't record to account for background noise. And I accidentally put the laptop a little bit too far away. So oh no, the recording, my voice was fine, but the lawyer's voice, you know, the actually important part of the episode, his voice sounded like he was in a tunnel far, far away. And, <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed. And then like, so when I got it back and I was trying to like fix it with audacity and it wasn't working at all. And, and I was just like, oh no, like <laughs> my first episode is going to sound horrible. And I was debating whether I should just go back and try to record it. So I, I thought I just bit the bullet. I emailed the lawyer again and be like, I'm so sorry. Like the first recording just locked. Can we redo it again? And he was very gracious in taking another hour of his time to re-record it. And then this time I had two recording devices right beside him so that, you know, maybe my voice won't be as good, but his voice will be the best quality possible. And it was fine. But that was kind of the story of my first recording. That sounds so familiar. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I, I think we all felt that one a little bit. Chris, how about you? So I think two things I learned. Are, one is listening to your own recorded voice is probably the best way to identify little tendencies in the way you speak. And to ultimately, uh, I mean, I'm, an, I'm ultimately an advocate. I worked in litigation for a long time prior to this job, which is sort of litigation adjacent. So it was a great way for me to critique my own voice and also understand, yeah, those, those little pauses, the ands, the uhs, the buts, the hard s's, hard p's. So that, that was interesting. But more importantly, uh, the other thing I learned is that the legal profession wants to grow lawyers that are doing work that's in line with who they are. When Rishi and I were initially getting this thing off the ground, we said, but content is king. We don't need to make this fancy. Let's just go in there with our cell phones and ask people if they want to talk to us. And we thought that maybe five out of 10 people would say yes. I think it was like 59 out of 60 people said yes. And we, with each one of those individuals, were like, this is a long form discussion. We're going to sit with you for an hour and mine you for information about who you are and how you got to where you are and what's good and bad about all of that. And people were so willing to share that um, it was really, that, that's what made the podcast successful and ultimately helped Rishi and I identify some of the things in our own lives that we needed to pay attention to in order to develop careers that were in line with who we are. And that is really the secret sauce in, in a, having a content career life and being able to balance that with all the other stuff we love doing. Yeah. How about you, Rishi? For me, I, I, I think Chris made it a lot easier for me personally. The reason I say that is I think it was the two of us, we could go back and forth with each other. You know, we, we generally started off with like a one page set of high level questions. And every single time I think we recorded, we learned something new about each other in the sense that, uh, you know, we start off with a topic and Chris would take it in a direction that I never thought the conversation could even go, which just led to us learning more about you know, the person we were interviewing, uh, which was very helpful for me because I wasn't very comfortable behind the mic initially. And then that gave me the opportunity to open up and be a lot more free flowing. And obviously that that's continued to help me in my career as well as a corporate lawyer where my daily 
job requires me to be on calls pretty much most of the day. Thanks, man. It's so nice. You're both so complimentary of one another, being like how much you learn from the other. It's it's a wonderful partnership. Seven years later, my goodness, you don't hate each other. It's wonderful. It was like we were expecting some shade. <laughs> we like an Eagles reunion. Well, well, the thing is that if you, you know, at that stage, if you think about, you know, you're in third year law school, as, as all of you guys can relate, trying to get an episode out on a weekly basis, you, you, rely on each other a lot yeah. and uh, you know, you have to like each other, but more importantly than just liking each other, you have to be able to trust each other and know that the other person is also looking out for the show and trying to benefit the show as much as possible. And that's what we developed early on and obviously have continued since 2014. And uh, Polly, how about you? Great minds to collect now. My experience is actually kind of like David's first experience. I was so nervous with my recording. Uh, well, with the with like being a host. Like I remember, like with my first interview, I didn't even hit the record button, and like it went on for minutes until like. <laughs> And then later on, I realized it. So we had to like oh, no. kind of start over. And for the lawyer, she was like, I think she was quite a young lawyer. So it was her kind of first interview on a podcast as well. So we like, it's kind of like good in a way. Cause like when we start over, we both know what we're doing now. So, so it kind of works out, but yeah. Yeah, I totally understand like how like for for um, new hosts like it's actually there are a lot of challenges like because because like um, there's like the te- technical issues and then there's also like having to um, manage like the expectation of the guests and the timeline and stuff. So I totally understand. Yeah, like Paul, you're right. You just you maybe remember that interviewing is a skill. Like when, yeah. when we, that's another huge thing that I think Rishi and I learned was that, you know, we started and we weren't very good at interviewing people. And then we certainly developed that skill over time. And the sort of the ability to sit in a room with someone and have a couple questions in your back pocket, but at the same time, be able to freestyle a little in order to, you know, understand where that person wants to go with the conversation and, and really as an interviewer, you're a facilitator, right? Like it's not about your own voice. It's about their voice and eliciting the best information you can from your guests. And you really do develop skills by doing this to, that, um, that allow that to happen more easily. And I think translate into the lawyering in general, you know, getting information is, is crucial to what we all end up doing. Yeah. And those skills actually transfer very well in the real world. Cause I found that I agree after my, so when I started in my second year for the law school show, I use those skills during the summer interviews for both 2L and also 2L summer and then also for articling. And in my current job, the interview was basically the two lawyers asking me, David, do you have any questions for us? That was the only question for the whole interview. And you know, that's something that's very unexpected, but I had to rely on those interviewing skills that we develop here at the LSS to try and get me over that hump. And, keep that conversation going. So I have to say, at least from my experience, the interviewing skills that we learned through this experience was crucial. That's very relevant, obviously, for the uh, for the recruitment process. I don't know what I would be doing. I'd be like, oh, how do you make bubble ganoush? It's just one of those things where you're just, you're just on the spot. You're like, oh, I, did, I didn't, I, I thought this went the opposite way. Yeah. I, think the, I think the answer is eggplant. Yeah, I know that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the core. 
that's the core element. But yeah, the intro, you know. How do you how do you transform the eggplant? That's I leave the leave the two L recruit. They're like, how'd it go? Well, they hated me, but I do know how to make bubble ganoush. So <laughs> net zero, maybe. Well, we're talking about we're talking about life skills here, so that's relevant. A useful skill. I mean, I, that's a that's a huge part of this, right? Like it's been a definitely a learning experience for everyone, including like those of us who are in it now. It's definitely has that potential. And then Ryan, there, man, how about you? How to make Baba Ganoush? Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I, can, well, I actually, can't, yeah, I can't be, get that out of my mind. <laughs> in your experience, like how was your first interview? How has it changed since then? So my, I mean, my first interview was was with a. So actually, my first, technically, my first interview was actually a co-hosted episode with Amos. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. Yeah, we we uh, we interviewed one of Amos's former professors. But I'll be very honest. I mean, in that episode, I mean, Amos was really running the show. You know, he already had much more radio experience and, and kind of general recording experience than I did. I'd done a little bit of radio back at Queens, but not much. And so I was was kind of shadowing and and kind of just throwing in some questions and, and seeing what I could contribute. My first kind of proper episode was a solo episode that I did shortly thereafter, which was with actually a friend of mine from from undergrad that I gotten to know, and he was a couple years ahead of me. And so he'd just been called and was and was now a first year, like a first year associate. And so I wanted to talk to him having just gone through the process of, you know, law school and graduation and articling. And I wanted to get kind of his immediate insights into that process. And it felt just, I mean, it, it felt like a conversation between friends because it was. And I think in many ways that was a really useful first experience because it kind of put me at ease and, and the process wasn't as scary. And I've just tried to take the same kind of mindset into the subsequent interviews. So whether I'm, you know, interviewing the dean of the faculty or a professor or a legal professional, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I still try to take that same kind of let's just, this is conversational, you know, we're, we're friends here, kind of that tone. And I think it keeps things natural and, and lighthearted. And so I've learned a lot, but it's really just being a, I've enjoyed it. And that's been the wonderful part of this. I must say that your latest episode with Professor Dame says, I was very, very impressed by your preparation and being able to carry on that conversation with the level of depth that you did with someone like Professor Dane who I consider him to be one of the smartest people I know. Definitely, yeah. So whoever hasn't heard that episode, I would highly recommend you go check that one out. Thank you. That's very kind. I mean, it's worth noting that by the time this comes out, that probably won't be the latest episode, but I appreciate that. It's just, it was an area of interest. Uber V. Heller episode, Professor Anthony Dimes says for those searching. Yeah, so my first episode was the co-host episode with Ryan at the time. When it comes to what Ryan said about my experience, I wouldn't say I, have, I had a lot of experience in the hosting. Once again, I, I, I want to be clear that, that the work that I did previously to the law school show and the work that I still currently do alongside the law school show wasn't primarily hosting. It was primarily just talking about the game and just talking about what's happening on the top side on the corner. You know, So for example, the GGs are playing the Ravens. Here come the GGs down the top side. Here comes Bouchard passing a centering pass. Shot goes off, hits the crossbar, rebounds off. He shoots, he scores. You know, stuff like that. I'm just speaking out of thin air at this point, but it's not hosting. So my first episode was with a professor that I, I had known for many, many years and still a, a great friend to this day. She taught me in my undergrad, but I was also pretty nervous back then as well because that was my first interview, my first proper sit-down interview hosting of, a, of any kind at this capacity. So yes, I was familiar with the setup. I used the setup for, ma- for many, many years as of the, of the date of this recording, seven years since high school. But 
when it comes to actually conducting an interview, especially co-hosting an interview, that was a whole different project altogether because not only do I have to accommodate the needs of myself and my guest, who was Professor Rebecca Jaremko Bromwich, I also had to make sure that I wasn't overstepping Ryan so many times. Ryan said that that that, that he was shadowing. I was I, I felt kind of like, oh, oh boy, I think I probably overstepped a bit too much at that point. No, 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 nonsense. You you knew her. You knew the guest, and and you know you might draw a distinction between hosting and I don't know what term you'd use to describe the things you just did, but like for me, it was all the same. You were like the experienced one, and I was coming in with zero knowledge of how this. But worked. it was it, at the end of the day, it comes down to the chemistry that you have between the host and the host and the guest as well. So for me, it went well. But it certainly could have been better. I mean, there's an, there's an old saying that uh, I'm not sure if it's an old saying, but it's something along the lines of, you know, nobody makes the first time. You know, everyone has their first time. Nobody makes it perfect. No, nobody absolutely hits it out of the ballpark. There's going to be things that you can learn from from that first episode, no matter how well it goes. And for me, that's what I certainly learned from the first episode. And that was about, I think, almost an hour, uh, the first episode, which is the typical length for a lot of our episodes over the past six or seven years. But that was my first uh, experience. It was a great experience and a memorable experience. One thing that I also remember was that this microphone was also being rotated between people. So it was myself in the middle and then Ryan on the left and then Professor <laughs> Bromwich on my right. It was a terrible setup. <laughs> it, yeah, it was unfortunate because I, I didn't have an omnidirectional microphone and I still don't. This is a, I don't want to say it's single directional, but it's yeah it's a dynamic microphone so you have to be very up close for the listeners you can't really see it but it's the shore sm7b if you if you look online you'll have an understanding of what i'm talking about especially for the technical listeners the microphone is designed so that you have to speak very closely into the microphone so for right now if you're able to see this on camera like i'm literally about an inch maybe even less than an inch from the actual microphone itself and that's because it takes out a lot of the background noise even if i were to leave this room right now there's a chance you won't even hear me at all that's how sense uh, how close you have to be whereas if we had an omnidirectional microphone that's a whole different story like rishi seems to have the yeti there it is a blue yeti you can talk in any direction it works <laughs> and not and not only that it, you can also talk from far away in the room and it would it would still catch it up right because because it's very sensitive and that's what a condenser microphone would do and again for those of you who don't understand what's going on try search try googling it and you'll 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 understand maybe a little bit what i'm <laughs> talking about Google it and spend, you know, several years of your life dedicated to this craft and you'll understand half of what Amos knows. But yeah, just summarizing, we had to rotate the microphone and it, it kind of took off a little bit of the organic sense of the interview at that point, which is important for an, an, uh, an interview because there's there's a chemistry and or, an organic part of the interview that is that can only be captured from the actual conversation itself, not through the words, but just through the mood, the atmosphere, the emotions that are being expressed in the room. And we lost a lot of that in the first the first episode. When we co-hosted the Janice Payne episode, though, that was a lot better because we were using Ryan's blue microphone. Blue Yeti. Yeah, the Blue, the blue Yeti. And while there was a lot of background feedback, that was not a big deal at all, in my opinion, because we got everybody's input and we got the full chemistry and the full atmosphere recorded into that singular microphone and whereas for for these ones if we were, if we were to make a good interview for with the, using these microphones we would have had 
to have two or three microphones, one for each person. So yeah, first uh, this, I, I tend to ramble a lot as, as, as you can hear or, or, or see ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for my rambling. No, 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 I, I, no we, we can't forgive you, which reminds me of the time. No, that's uh, I mean, it's because like I use a, I use a blue snowball myself. Like it's, um, it does, it does make a difference. It's for me, actually, I was, I was in radio, did radio as well in undergrad, and I was uh, managed at that time to not learn how to use Zencaster at all or anything like that. So this has been itself an experience. You can actually find my first interview with Heather McLeod Kilmer, and that was that was that was a learning experience for both of us. It sounded great. It came out very well. We've got a lot of good feedback on it. You know the the we we mentioned a couple of times like how the episodes are about an hour long. So you guys, I don't know if you would know or not, but Chris and I had hours worth of conversations about how we wanted law school show to be, because as Chris mentioned initially, you know, in 2014, when we launched, but the concept of podcast was brand new. And there was this huge debate about should a podcast be a long form podcast or a short form podcast in order to get the highest number of listeners? And what would law students want to know? want to listen to given their busy schedules we had long long conversations whether we should have small bits and pieces like 15 minutes bits or it should be 30 minutes and 45 minutes and chris like we landed what between 30 and 45 minutes based on all the feedback we received was like the sweet spot for what people wanted to hear at that point in time yeah it, it was it was long enough to allow for that organic development of the conversation and to and to allow you and i Rishi, to get to know the guest a little bit while at the same time not you know, overwhelming the listener with you know the one plus hour time signature on the bottom of the audio file they're about to press play on or maybe not and then we also did a little like segment series too right we, we did the 10 minute series where we 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 sort of mined each other for info based on what we had learned about law school and and tried to deliver a little you know digestible bites of audio too i'm curious whether that has changed that perception because of how obviously predominant podcasts have become and people, you know, hear them at different parts of their day, whether they're before COVID would be walking to work or now when they're driving around, whether people are more amenable to be listening to an hour and 15 minute podcast more so than they were when we initially started. My perception is yes. I mean, I listen to long form podcasts exclusively. And I think the nature of a law school show lends itself more to the long form. But yeah, curious, what does uh, everyone else think in terms of the, you know, in terms of the law school show listener base, are you seeing any tendencies toward longer or shorter episodes? In, in terms of the, the listeners or in terms of, of the production of the episodes, the hosts? No, I'm, I'm more curious about the listeners. Like, are you finding that the listener base wants shorter episodes or are they comfortable with, with the long form? Are you seeing any changes in terms of the you know, number of downloads? No, I mean, I haven't. So, I mean, just from the from the back end in terms of just the statistics on, on download numbers, I haven't noticed a kind of appreciable difference between how many downloads are on shorter versus longer episodes. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's worth noting that I mean, our, our quote unquote long form episodes, I mean, in the context of podcasts nowadays, I'm not even sure they could be called long form, like really long form. They're probably more like mid form. Yeah. Fair. Like Joe Rogan goes for like two and a half hours. With exactly. Yeah. I was going to say like the, there's a difference there. Yeah. And to our listeners, that's how we find out. That's the bellwether right there. So download, download. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, if you shameless want us to know, 
then download and like and comment and like send us feedback by all means. I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you absolutely hate how long our episodes are, please let us know. Or if you want longer, again, please let us know because um, otherwise we just have no idea. But I mean, I do think our episodes still tend to remain in that in that kind of range. We've gotten more extremes lately where, you know, we've had a couple recently that have, that have topped the hour mark and we've had a couple that are like more in the, you know, between the either the teens or the 20s on on minutes. And so it's it's I think there's there's some variation, but they all seem to be popular in their own way. And that's something that I would echo Ryan as well. And we would very much appreciate the feedback in terms of not just the length, but also in terms of anything else that you found interesting or that you could see that it could improve with the yeah. show. And one of the ways that we can improve the show is by revisiting anything that we would have done right or wrong and then improving based on that. From each of your personal experiences, were there any episodes that you wanted to revisit? And I'll start with Chris first. So were there any episodes that you, looking back, would have wanted to revisit and to either redo or to expand on? The one episode that I would expand on was an interview with Stephen Burkett. And what we had done was, so it's not necessarily talking to Stephen again, but having this concept be more of a repeat. And what we did with Stephen was, we talked to him about, so he had gone through the second year recruitment process. He was in a position where he was starting third year and he didn't have articles yet. And a lot of his peer group had either been hired into Bay Street or hired into another big market through the recruitment processes. So we wanted to say, hey, Stephen, how do you feel? What are you doing to find articles? Talk to us about, you know, sort of the, the struggle of being in your position and the opportunities that you're, you're going after. By the way, Stephen works downtown Toronto now, super successful at corporate real estate law practice. He's fine. But the beauty of that interview was that Stephen was willing to sort of show us the color of his heart a little bit and really be honest about the challenges of being a law student in that position. And his honesty got the listeners to really appreciate what was going on. That was an extremely popular episode and one that really pulled a lot of comments from the listener base. So I think obviously a lot of people could relate and doing more episodes around, you know, not necessarily interviewing a practitioner, but interviewing a fellow law student or interviewing someone who, who you know, perhaps in the articling process that the law student listeners can really relate to is something that I think we could have done more of. And Rishi, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Chris. I think those episodes, for, I think as law students generally, you know, everybody is applying for some kind of a job, obviously, after law school. And it's tough for people to open up about their failures. And all of us, while we were in law schools and even beyond, we have had a lot of failures. But you, it's hard to find people to share that with because, you know, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, everybody's just kind of sharing all their successes. So to Chris's point, I think one of like the best interviews that we had were these couple of roundtables we did with our fellow law students and, and trying to get them to open up about their feelings and what they consider to be failures and how did they come out of it? How did they persevere through that? Because that is so relatable for almost every single law student out there, but almost something that nobody talks about. So I think in terms of episode structures, those were amazing. My Favorite interview, though, I would say is with this person. It's, her name is Leela Benjamali, and she's uh, a lawyer in, again, California. What a, what a theme, right? For, for the record, if I was asked that question, I was going to give the same answer. So, 
for Leela. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was so she. We had no plans of interviewing. We didn't even know who Leela was. We just got an email from Ottawa saying we have this guest speaker coming in from California. She used to study in, in Ottawa, and since then she moved uh, her practice to California. And her background just seemed fascinating. This lady had, you know, was, I think, tennis star in, in Canada. And then she started this legal practice and she had a startup on the side, which was a proper startup that was taking off. And she was really making a push for trying to ease the process of somebody, you know, incorporating their companies and, and making it easier for startup founders to get legal services. So Chris and I, I think we had the same reaction when we read that profile that we emailed each other saying, hey, we should try to get her on the podcast. So when she was coming to Ottawa, we emailed her saying, hey, do you want to come on the podcast? So she was so gracious with her time. She obviously was here for a very limited amount of time. She did a talk in Ottawa. And then right after, I think we took her to a classroom upstairs and did a very quick episode with her. I, I wish that could have been longer and we could have dug into it a lot more because she had a lot more to offer. Yeah, that definite shout out to Leila. She's she's great. And the other thing I took away from that interview was that she did law school her way on her terms and was not pushed or pulled by the sort of the the protocols or you know things you should do, air quotes for the audio only listeners, things you should do during law school. She like she took a year off. She took extra time. She didn't particularly care about her grades as much as other people do and but she didn't she wasn't lazy. She was just using her energy in a way that was totally in line with what she wanted to do. And then she, you know, she left you left you Ottawa. She did advanced degrees in California. She lives in San Francisco, I believe now. And, um, you know, she started a law firm called Bedrock. And then she started a second startup called Startup Documents. And then a third now she's involved in called Symbium. So she continues to just innovate and roll. And uh, it was so obvious that she just had that energy within her, you know, in that 30 minutes that we sat there. So a great, that was a great, that was a great talk. David, what about you? I think I will have probably two episodes that I will probably think what we're doing. I think the first episode I did was an interview with a sole practitioner. And it was a good episode at the time. But I think, especially because of the current COVID situation, the practice of law have changed dramatically. So I think if I could go back and redo that one, that would be probably what my focus would be because at least in my practice anyway, things have changed dramatically. And then the other episode I'll probably redo is, I think one of my last episodes was between myself and Angela. I think it was basically talking about my own experience finding a job. The reason why I think that episode could be revisited is because I think my experience, even though it's three years, it was about three years ago, it's also becoming a bit dated because, you know, in the legal industry, just more discussions about systemic racism and other equality issues. And I think three years ago, those issues weren't as at the forefront as they are now. So I think it's definitely a prime time for another interview around that scope of the experience of going through that recruiting process. And Polly, what about you? What, what what episodes would you have wanted to revisit? So most of the episodes that I did were just like by myself. So just me and the guests. And I think by the time when I was in 3L, uh, I was helping out with like another host, another new host. So then we were together like hosting the episode for the first time. So at least for me, it was the first time doing a co-host. 
show. And I thought that was actually quite hard because it's, it's like a different kind of dynamic. And you have to figure out who is going to lead the conversation and where, what about the other person? When is the other person go going to ask questions and stuff like that? So there were like a bit of some like awkward moments that we had to edit out and stuff. So I think if I had to revisit an episode, like I think that one would be one that I would revisit. Other than that, I think I did an episode with David before about like one L experience or, or or about like summer job hunting experience or something like that. I feel like looking back, maybe some something that I thought were important weren't that important after all. So let's say grades or something like that. So like if I have to give advice to a law student now, like I would say actually don't let your grades define you. Grades are actually not that important, especially when you're out of law school. So yeah, like just just embrace your time being in law school and like meet people that maybe there there could be some people that you could only meet in law school because like because of the law school environment so embrace your time there and ryan what about your episodes that you want to revisit you know ask me this question again for the like the 200th or 250th i mean they're they're all they're so fresh right now that like i haven't really had a, a full chance to kind of do a an autopsy on them or a, a <laughs> of the phrases postmortem that's what it is so you know i yeah i mean it's 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 a constant learning process and i think more right now i'm just getting ideas for episodes that i that i want to do in this last year remaining you know like we've we've got eight months uh you know one school year left and you know thankfully i've, I've got a job lined up so it can just be focused on ad admitting that grades might not be everything at least trying to get good grades and trying to you know have a, have a good and successful last year and you know, I've got some episode ideas, so we'll see how those how those turn out. Yeah, ask me about about the postmortem in a couple of years time, and maybe I'll have a different answer. So save this energy because this this will we're, we're going to ask everyone about this. You know, um, after the show, you know how how everyone's um sort of put this into their own lives. There's one question I'd like to ask everyone: is that if there's is there over the number of people who have interviewed guests? I think Chris and Rishi, you guys have seen the show from start to what it what what it is now. Is there any kind of through line between guests, interviews, experiences that you've interacted with on the show? Is there any kind of a common thing you've kind of observed other than dealing with the law? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I find, you mean the guests that have been on the show or the hosts? Either. I think on the guest side, I, I would say it's been surprising to Chris and I when we started off how amenable people were to come and share their stories. And it doesn't matter if they were one year out of law school or they were 20 years out or 30 years out, right? We interviewed somebody who was right at the cusp of retirement, I think a month after he was going to actually retire and he did in fact retire. So we have had conversations from people from start to end of their career. And we were truly, truly surprised how open they were to share their stories with us and open to giving their time if, because we were genuinely curious to ask them questions. So I didn't expect that. I think when we when we started, we thought we'll reach out to like 20 people and maybe five will say yes to us. And those are the five interview, interviews we would do. But when we reached out to 20 people, we got 20 acceptances. And that's partially why we had to do an episode a week because we had so many people saying yes to us. <laughs> and then we had to get those episodes out. I, w I would say the one through line theme 
that was repeatedly touched upon by our guests was the fact that, yes, grades are important. Uh, I agree with Paul, you can't be defined by grades, but my view is that they are important uh, as an applicant to future positions. A employer will look at your grades. But what's more important, and this is what so many guests said, is who you know. Your network is the number one thing that will propel your career development both in terms of getting opportunities to apply to positions and also in terms of developing relationships that will have an air of mentorship and will allow you to glean information and help make decisions that are more in line with who you are and, and, and ultimately developing a career that's more in line with who you are. So get to know people. Uh, that's my advice to law students over and over again. Don't do too many things. Focus on your grades and make sure that you're using your time to get to know people in the profession and getting to know your colleagues, because those are the people that you're gonna be out in the career world with. And those are the people that are gonna shoot you a LinkedIn message and say, hey, Polly, I have this position. I thought of you, what do you think? And usually they come out of the blue. That's been my experience. So network and network meaningfully, it goes far. Imagine, I can imagine indeed. I guess I can go off Chris's point. And for those of you who I was once like that, where you're intimidated talking to lawyers or you're shy or you're just thinking, oh, why would a lawyer talk to me? I found now that I've been a couple of years in that lawyers are actually, generally speaking, very open in giving mentorship. And it's not to them like a waste of time. It's often for them a way of them giving back and putting it forward because many of the lawyers you see, they're not in that position, in me included, without that sort of mentorship, without that sort of help that they got early in their careers. And so you'll find that many lawyers will want to do the same thing for the next generation. So I know for myself, when I was going to law school, I was like, well, no lawyer is going to talk to me. Like I'm a student. Like, But now that I'm on the other side, like go for it. Like law students, take send those emails, like send those LinkedIn messages. You'll find that lawyers are more open to talking to you than you think. And for those lawyers who are saying, well, like, no, I don't talk to students, chances are those people won't be the mentor that you need. And so I just wanted to kind of branch off on Chris's point on that one. And now to answer your question, I found in my experience, the one kind of big theme that I got is Legal education is what you make it out to be. So when I first got into law school, I thought, okay, you go into law school, you do your three years, you do your articling, you become a lawyer. What I realized is that's not the case. You can use legal education however way you think. You can go into private practice, you can go into government, business. I think I have a classmate that's doing communications. So very variety, a lot of flexibility in legal education. Don't feel like you're kind of pigeonholed into becoming a lawyer because you're not. Certainly important pieces of advice for everyone listening and watching. I'm glad that you also that, that you also were the one to answer this question, David, because my next question was actually about you in particular, specifically in terms of, you know, just being able to talk with different people. And you've had a much more flexible opportunity on your own as well when you had your own podcast and you still have your own podcast, the, the Conopedia podcast. And I believe your first episode was released on April 9th, 2020. 
So it's a very, very new podcast, and it has about five or six podcasts at this time. As of the recording of this episode, this being recorded at the very end of August, what were some of the parallels that you found between your podcast and the Law School Show? And what skills, knowledge, and inspiration did you bring from the Law School Show to Conopedia? So Conopedia is kind of our firm's little pet project that they asked me to do. It happened because they found out that I was a host for the Law School Show. <laughs> well, I guess from a practical standpoint, Definitely the skills that you learn through audio editing. So Audacity, I've relied on that a lot. The launch of the Conopedia podcast has kind of been unplanned because of COVID. So a lot of the first couple of episodes are basically COVID themed episodes. And those ones are kind of non-traditional because they're kind of, they were Q&As that our firm prepared to answer a whole variety of COVID questions. The most recent episode was kind of, it's kind of the most traditional episode, quote unquote, because it's, it, it's basically the first episode between myself and Jim Davison, who was one of the name partners. And it was, that's the traditional one where you're doing an interview style, conversational interview and you know i had to rely on my law school show interviewing skills because as sometimes these things happen i didn't do too much preparation so a lot of the questions that you hear me ask jim is kind of just naturally through the conversation and those skills you develop in interviews for jobs but for me personally i also developed those while I did the interviews for the law school show. It's it's still a project in progress and more episodes will be coming out, but it's obviously a little bit slow given the workload that we have. have so. It's always good to have, you know, a podcast that in your back pocket that you can host and produce on a semi-regular basis because not only is it good for you, but it's also good for the firm that you work for. It's given that you're you're that Conopedia is related to, to the firm that you work at. One thing that I've been realizing is that more and more firms have been taking up the podcasting format as well, just talking about what's happening at their firm or what's happening in their practice or some very general questions being answered about their firm, about the practice. And, and that's something that I think is a growing medium for a lot of firms and a lot of businesses in at least the early part of the 21st century because... People are people are very busy, and typically how, how I see podcasts is that it's kind of like a medium where people can either sit down and listen to it. It's a very it's a very versatile medium. People can either sit down and listen to it, people can sit down and watch it, or people can play it in the background and then listen passively, but then pay a lot of attention to very important and very interesting parts of the podcast, which almost always happens in pretty much any podcast episode that you listen to. And I think podcasting is just such a flexible tool that not just individuals can benefit from. Individuals and businesses and organizations can really benefit from that. And Jake, I'm very sure that you have also had a lot of, a lot of experiences with benefiting from this as well, not just in terms of skills, but just in terms of your public presence as well on the internet as well. Well, that might be a mixed blessing for uh, for a lot of people, including myself. You know, you can do it is true. You can do a lot of things with podcasts. You know, you can listen to the law school show whenever you can be listen to it when you're at home. You can listen to it while you're out getting groceries. You can listen to it while you're working out. You know, it, there's a there's a lot going on there. You know, I mean, you're, you're pumping some iron and you're learning about Uber v. Heller. Like, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it, it's an excellent thing. I, I do it regularly, obviously. <laughs> I, I do think there's an aspect to it. I think we're really seeing this now, you know, when. We are like mandated to be, we, we cannot have this in person, for example, or mandated to be apart from each other. Mediums of communication that do this and means of 
creating media that replicate those means of communication, like podcasting, for example, is kind of almost a medium between the two. But it's I think they do bear a lot of thinking about because there is this aspect. I really do think that if I was coming in to 1L this year, I would be I would be listening to a lot of this show because I would probably have no idea what to expect. And I, I think that may be a fair experience. I feel like my like how I came to this, which is like Googling this to find like Ottawa, Ottawa law podcasts in general, I think that might be a, uh, a relatable experience. And I do think that there's great value to that. So I got a question for you guys, Jake, Amos and Ryan, given you are the ones running day-to-day law school show for this year. What can our listeners expect forthcoming this year? Ryan, I think you'd be the best one to answer this question. Oh, so much. We're looking forward to this year. It's it's going to be exciting for a number of reasons. Firstly, we've got, I think, the biggest host team that we've ever had. And we're bringing in hosts from other schools as well, trying to expand a little bit beyond just the Ottawa family, because a lot of the lessons, a lot of the experiences that we share don't just apply to the, you know, to the Ottawa legal market. I mean, a lot of it is in Toronto and there are students in Toronto and students in, in Kingston and uh, Windsor and even across the country and even sometimes in, in the US or other countries. I mean, we have listeners in, in 30 plus countries at this point who have similar experiences in trying to make their way through law school, especially through you know, the Zoom school of law, trying to understand how to succeed in the midst of a pandemic trying to understand how to build their network, how to succeed in law school, what extracurriculars to take on, what paths are open to them, what opportunities are available. Those kind of lessons aren't just limited to Ottawa. And so we're trying to expand a lot more. And that means that we'll have more content, more diverse content, more relatable and applicable content uh, that's more usable to our listeners. We also have, we've expanded a little bit beyond just the emphasis on careers. So that's still one of the the three main pillars now that we have for the show. Uh, and the other two are the student life. So, you know, success as a student. How do you get good grades? How do you study? How do you balance extracurriculars? How do you know what extracurriculars to get involved in? How do you finance law school? Things like that. And then the third is kind of the well, substantive law. So like the Uber and Heller episode, you know, what happens when you just have legal topics that are really interesting that you just want to learn more about? Well, now you can turn to the law school show and, and learn more about them. Uh, so we'll have new episodes there. So those those three pillars, the career, the student life, and the substantive law will kind of guide us through season seven as we have our fantastic host team try and produce way more content than we've had in years past. So yeah. hopefully we'll even get to the uh, to the once a, once a week that you guys managed to hit somehow, the two of you. I'm so impressed. Hopefully. And I, I, think, I think given... Given, given the COVID times, that student life pillar is going to become so much more important because, Agreed. you know, that interactions you would be having in the library or, you know, when getting food with each other yeah. will not no longer be there for at least a, a short period of time. And students will be relying on, you know, listening to resources like the law school show to ask, uh, to get answers to the questions that they would have in their mind that they generally might be asking people that they run into. So I feel that it's almost an extra level of responsibility on a show like The Law School Show, which has been operating for a number of years to uh, make that process as seamless for students as possible. So Absolutely. kudos to you guys for taking on that responsibility and continuing the show. Another Thanks. question I have is now for Chris is how do you see the broader vision of the show as we go, as we continue to grow the show uh, onwards and upwards? We're going to keep doing a lot of the same. I mean, the, the, the three pillar approach to episode seven is timely because 
there are specific things going on in the world for 2020 and 2021. But the, the key through those three pillars is getting to know people and helping people. So, you know, those two goals of the law school show, which have been there since day one, will continue to drive the way we produce content going forward. And I, I'm looking forward to it. Like it's, it's been an amazing transition from year to year. There's a little bit of new energy, new insights, new ideas every year. There's even a lot of tough nuts to crack out there that several teams have tried to do. But, from, you know, so I, I hope that you guys are the first to succeed in, in certain of those areas. Yeah, so the future is going to be a lot like a lot like now where people, if, if you're a law student, if you're a recent graduate, or if you're looking to learn about a certain area of the law or a certain substantive area of the law, then listen to the law school show. It's it's honest people trying just trying to help their colleagues and ultimately develop their careers in, in meaningful ways. So it, it'll continue to be relatable, and that will always be the, the foundation of what uh, the team does. One great message to hear. Really like that. I definitely think that that, um, that means a good bit. I do have a bit of a question about this. We touched on this before, but when we're talking about the careers available to people, there's definitely a sort of elasticity to it, I think, in things that I've been told recently. Because there's, I mean, there's the, the JD Advantage track that we, we were uh, taught about in our, um, oh, what was the class at the start where we did the... Uh, was it DRPR? Yeah. Dispute Resolution and Professional Responsibility. Yeah, yeah. where we're... Um, we talked about the varying ones. One of them was a JD Advantage track where your uh, law degree is valuable to you, but you're not practicing law. And there's some things I was wondering, like Chris and Polly, because I think that both of you guys, like Chris, you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're a civil servant, you're working with the OPG. And Polly, like you're, you're not practicing law in Canada, but you're practicing, they're working in Hong Kong. And I'm just wondering about these tracks, both ideas of where, um, where your degree has taken you, where this um, discipline has taken you and sort of how this, this network, this experience with the show has kind of maybe affected that. Um, Polly, go ahead. Oh, hmm? so... I'm currently working in Hong Kong um, as an immigration lawyer. I think like there are a lot of opportunities like in Asia countries or like anywhere like outside of outside of Canada as well. Like if people are interested, like for me personally, because I have family here, so like I've always been interested going back to Hong Kong to work. And personally, for me, um, I'm working in international immigration law, so like. Not not only do I do Canadian immigration law, our firm also like help people immigrate to like 22, like 22 or 23 countries. So it's interesting to, for a student to explore these kind of like um, avenues. It's not that hard to sort of like look for a job here. Like for me, I just, what I did was just like sending cold call emails like to different firms. I was looking specifically for uh, firms that had like Canadian lawyers working there because then I thought like in my articling training then I could have probably benefit from like shadowing working with like a Canadian lawyer and many Canadian lawyers are very approachable and nice like when I send the email even though they don't have um, any position open they just refer me to like some other firm that has position open so at the end of the day it wasn't actually that hard to get a summer job and then that eventually lead me to my position here so yeah interesting yeah i think the the tool that the law school show gave me that's helped my career is how to think about sort of the entire value proposition of a specific job 
and to think about each position that I'm in critically with respect to who I am, what am I interested in, what are my goals, and then what are the, the goals and interests of that organization, and, and sort of where do we overlap in that Venn diagram, and where do we depart? And in, in continuing to have that lens on my role, I've been able to identify very clearly the pros and cons of each role I've been in, and therefore, you know, look more proactively and pointedly at what jobs are available to me in what industries based on my skills and based on the, you know, those cons that I want to turn into pros. Like I actually had an Excel spreadsheet that I would build that I would continuously fill out so that I could see, okay, where am I at now and where, where am I going forward? And ultimately, I mean, my, my trajectory was one where I did the too well recruitment and I got hired into Heenan Blakey because I was going to practice entertainment law. Heenan Blakey folded and I was bumped over to Stike and Elliott. So that's how, that's how Rishi and I got to know each other. And then I thought I was going to do corporate law in Stike and Elliott so that I could learn the basics of entertainment law and then, and then get back into that field after. But I ended up being drawn to the people in litigation and uh, developed a litigation practice there for a couple of years and then realized that um, there were certain sectors that I, that I was still very interested in, sports and entertainment and energy being the top two. And it just so happened that I knew people in the energy sector and specifically at OPG because I had developed mentorship relationships and I had taken the time to network and keep in touch with those people after their time in, in the, the previous workplaces we had shared. So the opportunities came available to me and I was able to you know, ride that trajectory that I had been setting up to, for myself by virtue of doing the work and applying those, those tools from which I learned from my time at the law school. And as, as we start to conclude the episode, this has been one very, very fun conversation for all seven of us at, at this time. And for all of our audience members, including those who aren't involved in the legal industry, those who are just interested in just listening or, or viewing the, the content of the Law School show, what you have heard or seen here are mostly alumni of the show who have had great experiences, just a plethora of diverse, rich experiences in life and in, in the career as well. And a lot of them, as you've heard today, as, as you've heard them say, have been giving credit to the law school show as well and in terms of growing their careers. And my final question that originally I was just going to ask Chris, Rishi, and Ryan, but now I think it's more appropriate to ask everyone this question. For all the alumni who are still in contact with the show in some form or another, what can alumni do to contribute to the law school show? What can alumni do to help continue to grow the law school show so that we can see another 150 episodes? And I'll start with Chris and on this one. Alumni can do, well, l let me say this. So we, we have uh, an idea that's still uh, embryonic. However, we, we do want to bring it to fruition this year. So We'd like to leverage uh, the Law School Show platform in order to develop a mentorship network where we have a lot of the alumni from the show who are stepping up as mentors and basically facilitating uh, an online or a via phone communication platform where law students can connect with mentors who really care about giving good advice. And during this time of pandemic, we think that's going to be more applicable than ever before in terms of career development. So alumni, look out. You're probably going to get an email from 
anyone who's, who's talking here on, on this show right now and asking you to get involved. But I certainly will be selective about those alumni because uh, we want them to be people who really care about mentorship. The other thing to do is just tell someone about the show. Like that, that always goes so far. Word of mouth marketing is, in my view, still the most powerful tool. If you've been a part of the law school show, if you've benefited from it in some way, tell someone else, tell a law student who you think might be able to equally benefit. And thanks for sharing the message. Rishi, what about you? So in addition to what Chris already said, because I think those are great ways, and we're very excited about the launch of our mentorship network, which is forthcoming in the next couple of weeks. I think one of the other ways your alumni can help is through sponsorship. So, you know, Law School Show is a student-run organization. We are obviously supporting it, and there's a lot of room to grow. And, you know, we're very impressed by the individuals like all of you guys who are running it this year, but there's so much more we can do. So if you would like to support the show, please do reach out to us. We are looking for sponsors on an ongoing basis, and we can engage in that conversation. And David, what about you? I think Chris summarized a lot of the most points. <laughs> I think for some of our alumni who have some social media presence, I think sharing them, sharing law school show podcasts on the social media is one additional option. In terms of mentorship, if some of our alumni have started developing those mentorship relationships with law students, maybe not in Ottawa, but in other cities and showing them this additional resource as well. And also, I think, at least in like the workplace, if you find or if you meet somebody that you think will be a fantastic interviewee for the law school show, it might be helpful also to try and get them a shout and be like, oh, would you be interested in being being interviewed for this podcast? And then try to make that connection that way. And Polly, what about you? I think like... I second like what David said and what Chris said. I like, I guess like, and if people can just like share what they know about Law School Show, like with other people, that would be helpful. And like, if there's any interviewee that could be an interesting candidate for the Law School Show, that would be helpful as well, I guess. Uh, One thing I would just add is if you like the show, make sure you go and leave a review on your whatever podcast app that you use and give the show five, five stars. And Ryan, our current producer, from your end, what do you think LMI can do? Yeah, I mean, that basically summed it up, what, what everyone said. So, I mean, share the show, share the show with people who would be interested in listening and certainly, you know, share it on social media, talk about it, leave us a review on on the Apple Podcast Store, whatever it's called nowadays, um, not the iTunes Store, but the Apple Podcast Network platform. Make sure to subscribe so that you get new episodes, you know, that, that helps us uh, stay active and we're making sure we're creating relevant content. Tell people about the show, especially if you think they're going to be interesting guests, that always helps us create more really interesting content by getting good guests on. As Rishi said, you know, if you're interested in sponsoring, that would be great. Go to our website, thelawschoolshow.com slash sponsor, and you can learn more about how to actually sponsor uh, some episodes. And, you know, we can have a conversation about what that looks like and and how you're able to support the show. Uh, And then look forward, as Chris was saying, to that uh, alumni mentorship program that we'll we'll hopefully be announcing in the coming months. Uh, That should be really exciting. Maybe it'll even be announced by the time this comes out. Who knows? But we'll see what happens. And yeah, just any way you stay engaged is great. Uh, it's an absolutely wonderful way to, to, to give back. And if you know anyone who's who you think would be good to get involved in the Law School Show, you know, tell them as well that we can keep growing the Law School Show family. Tell them to send in feedback. 
that too, but also a host application. You know, they can feel free to join. That works historically. Wow. 150th episode with all or most of our management team from seasons past. Some, some, some important people some. couldn't could not make it. Yeah. And and thanks must also go to to Rama and Jessica uh, and to Abby and to Dawn as well, who have all given huge contributions to the law school show over the years, but but couldn't join us today. Yes, for sure, for sure. Thank thank you for the uh, for the correction, Ryan. This was fun. This was really fun, Jake. This was really, really fun, everybody, to 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 host. I mean, to be a part of the 150th episode is in any shape or form, whether to be in the interview or to be listening in or, or, or viewing in, it, it, it's it's wow. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of history and a lot of work put behind it. I'm so happy to to have been a part of this. And Jake, I'm so happy to have co-hosted this episode with you as well, being a part of this very, very special episode this time. It was a blast. It was great on my end to meet everyone. I'm very glad to have done so. There's some amazing stories here. I'm looking forward to editing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, editing's going to be... The best part of the podcast. Everyone felt that one. <laughs> Two hours of audio. Have fun. Yes, 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 yes. But regardless, thank you all so much for taking the time out of your very, very busy lives across different time zones as well. Thank you so much for coming on today and to really share and celebrate this episode today. And thank you to everyone listening, viewing, and supporting The Lost Will Show for all these years, for all these episodes. Thank you so very much. Continue to support us. We hope you continue to support us for the next 150 episodes. And for as long as the show is, is around, you can support us on thelawschoolshow.com. And also, as our alumni have all said here, that you can donate to the show if you want to and sponsor the show if you want to as well. Once again, thank you so much for all the support. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. Cheers, everyone. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time on The Law School Show.